We're talking about sharing in the gospel tonight. Thank you for being here. And I won't uh, repeat what Ricky said, but it sure is encouraging to have you here to see all of you and gather together. We had a good, a good time this morning studying something a little different from what we're studying in the evening. And my guess is we're probably going to go somewhere tonight that you haven't thought about before. I, I'm guessing that might be the case. So let's start out with a quiz. You don't have to answer any of these out loud, but I'm going to show you some things. I want, to, I want you to rate the value of the following. I'm going to give you a list of things. Then I want you to think about which of these would be most important to you as a member of this congregation, and then which would be less important, less important down to the least important, okay? So think in terms of your congregation, wherever you're from, and I'll give them to you and then rate the following in terms of importance. Songbooks. How important are songbooks to what you do as a congregation of God's people? Number two is air conditioning. <clears throat> Don't underestimate that. Every state in the United States gets an opportunity to put two statues honoring prominent people from their state that made a major difference in the development and progress of that particular state. One of Florida's two people is the creator of air conditioning. <laughs> Pretty important. All right, number, number three, a preacher or preachers. Number four, a building, and number five, money. So I'm going to let you look at it. So here's what I want you to do. If, if we had to do without one, what would be the first thing to go? If we had to do without a second one, what would be the next to go, next to go, next to go, and what would be left? You don't have to answer them out loud. Got your answers? You do? Canon does. Anybody else? You got them? Okay, five of you do. I'm going to start over again. There are five things on this board, and I want you to rate those as to which you think is most important to the welfare of your church and which is least important. And I will tell you that of those, there's only one that is consistently found in the New Testament church. There was no air conditioning in the first century church. They didn't have songbooks. They didn't have buildings. They didn't own buildings. And you could argue, well, they have money, but most of us think in terms of not just uh, money for a moment, but treasuries. And I, I could argue, I think I could argue with you pretty, pretty fervently that there's no indication that the churches of the first century stored up money seems like they it was almost a it goes out as quickly as it comes in kind of thing now look my argument isn't these things are wrong none of them in fact our congregation has all of them but of these my guess is many of you didn't rank preacher as number one you thought well we could we could do without a preacher if we had to we can't do without a building and, I, and you may say, well, that's awful. Do people really think that way? Oh, absolutely. There, there are preachers here who could testify. We could testify 
We know of churches that have said, we'd like to have a preacher, but we've got to build a building. There's the door. Uh, Brother Jones, we're freeing up your future because we have to have money for a building. Or the air conditioning's shot, got to replace it. We're cutting out the missionary work till we can get the air conditioning fixed. I'm going I'm to say some things to you tonight that I think are tough. And I can do that because I have no vested interest in this particular group in saying these things to you. I, I have nothing to gain by saying this to you. If, if Jordan or Ricky said these things, you might, might say, well, of course they're saying those things because it benefits them. I don't have to do that. <clears throat> but I want to talk to you tonight about sharing in the gospel as it relates to sharing in those who preach the gospel, sharing in their lives and in their work. And you may say, well, wait, Ralph, I, I thought we were talking about koinonia. I saw that slide just a moment ago. It's koinonia we're talking about. How does this relate to koinonia? Go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Go, let the locust ascend. Let me hear the pages. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Here's the way the New American Standard renders that. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. You see our word? Are you starting to find it? You see it there? It's in the text. Koinonia is in the text. Let me insert it. The one who is taught the word is to koinonia or have koinonia all good things with the one who teaches him. So it does, it does relate. I want, I want to talk to you about this idea tonight. And I want to talk to you about it in terms, very practical terms, because I think we're missing something. How does that passage relate to Koinonia, Galatians chapter 6? Well, let's talk about what the passage says. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Sharing with teachers. I'm going to expand my thoughts at times beyond those who call preaching their profession. People like me and, and like Chris and like Ricky and like Jordan and like some of you others that are in the audience who have or are preaching. This says, let the one who is taught share with the teacher. So it includes a vast body of people who teach the word of God to other people, including Bible class teachers. Those who teach in the Bible class situation or teach in private studies those who teach are to have those who are taught 
share with them all good things. It's a kind of a reciprocal relationship that we're talking about here. It's the idea that I, I as a teacher, gave something to you as a student that is of great value, and in return, you demonstrate your appreciation for that by giving back to those who teach. Now, some of you, some of you are saying, well, wait, Ralph, we do that. Now, and I realize this. I, I realize some of you are saying, we do a lot of the things you're talking about, and that's wonderful. And I know you have, because some of you have already done that with me, and we'll get into that in a few moments. But here's where I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you say tonight, we fulfill that passage when we take up the collection on the first day of the week, and out of that treasury, we pay those who preach and teach. We pay them from that, because that's not what this passage teaches. Shakespeare had a phrase, he is hoist on his own petard. The, the, the statement means he was pierced by his own sword. He is caught by that which he is using as a weapon. And I'm going to tell you, we got caught in this passage. This passage is not to churches. There is no church application in Galatians chapter 6. And see, we have argued with some of our brethren who have looked at verse 10. And I'm not going to get real sidetracked, but I'm going to tell you, in verse 10, some of our brethren say, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially those of the household of faith. Let us do good to all people. The church needs to be helping from its monies people who aren't Christians. All people. The church should do that. And we have argued, and I think rightly so, that's not an application of Galatians 6 verse 10. Because of what? Because of the pronouns. The pronouns. Look at verse 1. If anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Bear one another's burdens, verse 2. Verse 3, if any one thinks he is something. This is not collective. This is not group action. This is individual action. Verse 4, each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting, for each one will bear his own load. Verse 7, God is not mocked whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh. And then verse 10, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men. And we've argued that's, that's an individual responsibility. So yes, I out of my wealth and out of my resources help people of all needs. They don't have to be brethren for me to help them. I should do that. Especially those of the household of faith, but I should do that. It's in that context verse 6 is found. Please do what you want with, with chapter 6, verse 6. Disregard it if you want to. 
Try to explain it some other way, but don't do this. Don't let Galatians 6.6 6 be solved by your first day of the week contribution to help others. This is an individual responsibility. This is what individuals were told to do. You were taught, as an individual, share with those who taught you all good things. My wife is a teacher. I have three daughters. Two of them are teachers. And I have a son-in-law who also was a teacher. I'm not a formal educator. So when we would gather at the table and all of us eat, the educators drive me nuts with their alphabet. They say things like this. I don't even know the right alphabet to use, but they say things like, oh, I had a student the other day and he needed that FGC thing. Or they'll say, oh, well, have you tried that AOL test? Have you done the, oh, I've got one that's GBD. You know, and I don't know what in the world that means. But educators use that kind of language. But there's something else about educators that I always recognized when it was Teacher Appreciation Week. Because my wife would bring home every form of apple you can imagine. <laughs> She'd have little apple jewelry, or she would have an apple bracelet, or she would have apple stickers, or she would have real apples, or she would have apple bread, or for the kid who forgot until the last minute, Apple Jacks. Every kind of apple. What was, what was the purpose of all that? What was What's being done? It's saying, you're teaching me and you're sharing really good things with me. We want to share good things with you as a teacher. This reciprocity concept. Teachers feed us with the fruit of their labor, the bread of life. We in turn respond with the fruits of our labors. Money. Gifts, cards, thanks. First Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, also speaks to this issue. And I, I find it kind of interesting that it seems like it should be directed to the people who are to help those who preach. But in this case, it says the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Those who proclaim the gospel are to get their living from the gospel. And let me tell you what I have not said. I have not said preachers shouldn't be supported from the treasury of the saints. I haven't said that because I do believe they have every right to do that, and that is a biblical pattern for us. But that is not what Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 says. And I think it is not the spirit of the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The thrust of this passage is not that we are obligated to help those who preach with gifts or recognition of their blessing us, but rather that it is a natural outpouring of our relationship with each other. 
It's the outpouring of our relationship. Look, we've been saying in this whole series already, three lessons. We only have two more after this. I've been saying this kind of koinonia builds relationship, community, mutual feelings. It's not about observing regulations and doing the right thing because that's what the law says as much as it is when we do these things, we share life together. We koinonia life. And that's, that's a special touch that we have with those who teach. Before I came here, I told you on Sunday morning, I got a bunch of cards from your junior high class, and they were writing me and encouraging me and challenging me. I'm keeping that card. Good luck with those lessons. I've had some of you who sent me emails and said we're excited about your coming. Some of you sent me cards ahead of time. You have encouraged me in a great way, and that is... That is one of the ways I'm talking about. I'm not just saying you have to help monetarily, but it, because that's not what the passage says. The passage says, share all good things with him who teaches. So listen to this in Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15 and verse 27. It's talking about the saints at Macedonia and Achaia. And they're pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. And Paul gives the reason why they were happy to make a financial contribution to people they had never met personally. Here's what it says. They were pleased to do so. And they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Now, I want you to notice two words in that text before we leave it. Our word is there. Koinonia is there. They shared with them. They koinonia'd with them. That's our word. It's in the text. But the second word is the sense of indebted. They felt this personal obligation to help the saints at Jerusalem. Why? Because the saints at Jerusalem had provided for them the gospel of Jesus Christ. They wouldn't be what they were if the saints at Jerusalem had not done what they did. So when it came time for the saints at Jerusalem to be helped, they said, oh, we will absolutely help. How much do you need? What is needed there? Because you gave us everything. You gave us our souls. You gave us life. You gave us Jesus. What do you need? And they felt that as an indebtedness to do that. So uh, back once more in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and looking at now at verse 11, it says, 
if we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? So what does that mean in practical terms? I mean, really, what are we talking about? Are we talking about everybody coming out of Bible class and peeling off a few bills and saying, good job today, thanks for the class? Is that what we're talking about? Or little kids going in with envelopes pinned to their shirts, the teacher has to take it off. Oh, good, gift cards. In practical terms, this is individual sharing. Sharing. It's not paying, it's sharing. We who teach shared what we did with you. You who received share what you did with those who teach. I I do wonder... I don't know this, but I do wonder if this isn't the historical reason for a feed the preacher list at a meeting. Really? I've thought about that. Maybe maybe that's where that came from. Preacher's coming. Let's, Let's feed him. He's feeding us. Let's feed him. We've used that kind of language before. Come on, folks. We let's feed the preacher when he comes. And some people might say, well, I want to hear what he's feeding us first. You know, I mean, we may just have snacks <laughs> at our house. <clears throat> you know, tapas. Not a full meal. No, not this guy. But the idea, well, you know, where did, where did that come from? We want to share with this person who's come to teach. I think that's where it came from for Teacher Appreciation Week. My wife would bring home all those kinds of food and cookies and all those things. It's want to share with you because you share with us. Okay, now, now I want to give you something that I think is really important about this because this is not about we who teach and we who preach aren't getting enough. You need to give us more. I want to show you how This relates to our love and loyalty to the truth. Let's say your name's on the list to feed the preacher. Let's say it's me. Let's just, you're on the list to feed me. And we'll just go ahead and use tonight. You don't like this lesson. You don't don't like what I'm saying. And you're supposed to feed me tomorrow night. And I mean, you're not just kind of mildly upset you're really mad oh don't look around to see who that person is they're not in a (laughs) who is he you know the elders are really concerned they're wanting to look over their shoulder who is it if you if you go if you go to the elders or the preacher and say take my name off the list i'm supposed to feed him tomorrow i'm not feeding him tomorrow night You're saying something about my presentation of what I believe to be truth. You're either saying it's true, but I don't like it, or you're saying, I don't believe it's truth. There's there's a sense in which sharing with those who teach carries with it the obligation of sharing 
even when I may not like the message. I may not like the message. I mean, it might be, as we talk about all the time, you stepped all over my toes. Can you still share with those who teach, who challenge you and push you and make you uncomfortable? Because if you love the truth, you will. If you love the truth, you'll do that. And, and I know you might say, well, you know, if I go to a restaurant and I don't get good service, I don't tip. We're not talking about tipping here. It would be more akin to if you go to the doctor and he says, I'm going to have to give you a shot. And the doctor puts a needle in. Are you going to go out to the receptionist's desk and say, I'm not paying for anything today. He hurt me. Huh? No, not paying it. My shoulder is sore. I'm not paying for that. We do, don't we? Why? Why, why do we still pay the doctor? Or a chiropractor? Or a massage therapist? Or a physical therapist? Why do we pay them? Because even if they hurt us, we think they're trying to help us. Oh, that's the key. So can I share with a teacher who taught my children a truth that's difficult for me to apply in my life or in the lives of my children. Can I still support the preaching and teaching of the gospel in those situations? Remember this, we are sharers, not givers. You, you miss the point if you think it's a matter of giving. We, giving and sharing is two different things. Giving is the idea of I have it and I have the option to pass it on and sometimes I will and sometimes I won't, but I'm not obligated in either case. But sharing carries with it this idea of reciprocity. You know, my mother sometimes would say to me, if I came in the house and I had two of anything, my mother would say, share with your sister. And sometimes she would give as her reason. You, you share that. Why? She's your sister. She's your sister. There was a sense in which I had to do that because we had a relationship. I didn't always like that, but I understood it. And in this case... I want you to imagine how encouraging this would be if every teacher of children in your congregation was on a regular basis receiving gifts and notes and words of thanks and affirmation. I, I, I have to tell you, I have to tell you this. I preached this lesson at another congregation. I'm gonna let the congregation be anonymous and the preacher too. But I said, recently, I went to my mailbox. We have mailboxes like you do here. And I went to my mailbox and there was a card there and it was a thank you note. And it said, thank you for the work you're doing. You've made a difference in my life. And I opened it up and there was a gift card to Waffle House. You know, scattered, smothered, covered Waffle House. And I, I mentioned that 
in the congregation. I just said, look, I'm just saying, I think that's the kind of thing, just an, a gift. It wasn't a huge amount, but it was a gift. Well, the preacher made a mistake. As he got up at the end of the lesson, he said, do not give me gift cards from Waffle House because I don't eat there. Yeah, I know. So the teenagers got together. Next night, the preacher comes to me and says, thank you very much. I said, for what? He said, I got $150 worth of Waffle House gift cards. Way to go, teenagers. $150. I said, what am I supposed to do with that? I said, spend it. Eat it. Or pass it on to a teacher you like. See, there's this, there's this sense in which there's a, there's a relationship. You, you did something for me. I want to do something in return for you. There are such unique ways of doing that. I'm not, I'm not going to go into a list of those, but there are ways you can say thanks, like people have said thanks to you, like people have shared with you. Be thinking about that. Parents of children need to be thanking teachers for all the work they're putting into bringing your children closer to Jesus Christ. Doesn't that mean something to you? If you're willing to pay a doctor to keep your kids healthy physically, would you not be willing to make some sacrifices for your children spiritually? What difference would it make in the hearts of all those teachers who many of which think, nobody knows what I do. Nobody really cares. I teach and nobody says anything and I get to the end of the class and I'm out for a while and then I go back in. Or worse, you teach until you die. You can't get out until you die. Do you think we might have more teachers who are eager to do that if they received recognition, just appreciation for what they do? I think they would. You need to think about that. Let the one who is taught share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, I want to talk a particular, the end of this lesson, on sharing with missionaries. There is a special kind of sharing that the Bible talks about, the New Testament talks about, regarding missionaries. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 is where I am to begin. Philippians chapter 1, 3 through 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. See our word? Do you see it? Participation. In view of your koinonia in the gospel from the first day until now. We're talking about sharing. Sharing with missionaries. Now, how, how did the Philippians share in the mission work that Paul was doing 
when most, if not all of them, never left Philippi? How were they sharing in his work? And you know the answer. Koinonia, remember, is not just sharing in, but sharing with. So it wasn't that, hey, we're preaching the gospel in Asia Minor. You're preaching the gospel in Asia Minor. Let's, let's have koinonia about that. But it may be you're preaching in that area. You have a need. I've got the resources. Let us send it to you so you can do that. That's sharing also. That's koinonia also. So think about this. This is a way everybody in this congregation or whatever congregation you're from, this is a way you can help carry out the command to take the gospel to the whole world. This is a way you can do that. Whether it's done collectively through the treasury or whether it's done individually. This is a way we share in the preaching of the gospel in other places. So we share in that by giving. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. And verse 15 says, you know that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. See our word? See it? Shared with me. Nobody shared with me. Nobody koinonia'd with me except you guys. At Philippi. They realized they had a debt to the lost because they were the lost and somebody had helped them find Christ and they had the obligation to do the same. Now, I'm going to show you something. I'm guaranteeing you, you're probably going to react negatively to it at first, but then I want you to think about it. A missionary sends a letter to the congregation here. And here's how the letter reads. Dear brethren, I am going to begin preaching the gospel in New Zealand. There are not very many churches there. I have decided to take my family and plant myself there so that we can plant a bastion or outpost of the kingdom in New Zealand. And I am writing you because I am giving you an opportunity to participate with me. This is a limited offer. But I, I have prayed about it and I am going to allow you to support me in that work. Now, most, most of us react to that this way. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? That sounds like an infomercial. You're going to allow us? Aren't you just asking us to support your work? Aren't you asking us if we will help you? You make it sound like you're helping us. That's the way you make it sound in that letter. Okay. Okay, read verse 17. Philippians chapter 4, verse 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek 
for the profit which increases to your account. Paul said that. Paul worded that. Paul said, I'm giving you Philippians a chance to help me in my preaching. It's not about the money. It's not about my getting the money. It's about what this will do for you. You are going to benefit by helping me. And I'm giving you that chance. I'm floored when I read that. First, at the audacity of Paul to say that that way. But secondly, at the realization that what he says is true. If I want to take the gospel to the world, I need to, I need to be supporting missionaries who do that. I need to be helping Brother Luis here. And you may say, we do, and that's wonderful if you do, whether individually or, or collectively. But if I want to take the gospel to Mexico, I better find people who are going to Mexico. If I want to take the gospel to New Zealand, I better find people. And rather than thinking in terms of people are always begging us, begging us for money, I'm sorry to bother you, but I need support, and I know you've got resources, and I know you get a lot of letters, but if you will, please consider this one and pray about it. And if you can help me, that's wonderful. If you can't, I understand. Hey, I'm done with that kind of language. Because that's not the language of the New Testament. The language of the New Testament stated here by Paul is, if you want to help me, you can do that. And I'm concerned about that, and I'm eager to let you help me because it's going to benefit you. It's going to make a difference in your life. Supporting missionaries is going to make a difference in your life. So there's that recognition for it. We find equality with the one who is preaching. And we need to count as our success the success of those preachers. That's our success. We need to rejoice in it. Not just for them, but for us. Look what we did. You know, back in the, um, back in the 19, it was the Winter Olympics in Calgary in 1988. That's the first time I saw it. Now you see it all the time at all the Olympics. But it was the first time I ever saw it. They were, there was a, a brother-sister couple from a Midwestern town that wasn't large, but they were really good skaters, brother-sister team, and they went to the Calgary Olympics. And as they were skating on the ice, the camera kept going back to that Midwestern town where everybody was gathered in a community center, and they were all watching them skate, and they were cheering, cheering, and they were on fire about that thing. You see it all the time now, but I never seen it before. And I wondered, why? Surely that's not all family. Why are all those people so excited? And then they, then they told us, because these are the people who paid to get them there. They had contributed money to get that couple to the Olympics. So when they skated well, that's our success. Hey, look what we did. Look what we did. Rejoicing with those. They were involved. It was their work. So... Here are some things about supporting missionaries in prayer, and then we're done. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, the Apostle Paul begins this letter to the Philippians by saying to them, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. If you go through the book of Philippians, 
you will find seven times where Paul wrote to the brethren to pray for him. He wanted to be recalled in their prayers. He could live without their money, but he couldn't live without their prayers. He said in chapter 4, you know, if you help me, that's fine, but I've learned to be in want or to be full, and I can live with both and be content. But he couldn't live without their prayers. He could not do his work without their prayers. Listen, I can't stress that enough. It is important for us to be praying for our missionaries. And I'm not just talking about once a month when we remember them. I'm, I'm not even talking about once a week. I'm saying God's people need to be praying for those who are laboring in difficult places. And it is more than just mentioning their name and saying God bless them. It's more than that. I mean, Paul prays for, asks them to pray for opportunities for the gospel to be heard. He prays that they'll be safe, that he will be safe in the work that he's doing. He, he prays that he will be courageous, and he asks them to pray, that he will be courageous in proclaiming the gospel. And I, here's a question for you. What do you think, what do you think, and I'm not going to ask Brother Luis or any other people who've done any kind of mission work to speak aloud about this, but what do you think is neglected most often in our support of preachers in difficult places. Prayers are money. You think we forget to pray for them more than we forget to send money to them? Or you think we forget to pay, the, pay them more than we pray for them? And I think you know the answer. We're pretty diligent about supporting them financially. We have good treasurers who make sure those checks are written and they're delivered on a regular basis. Now, I received outside support for a while, and I know sometimes they'll miss I know that happens sometimes, but overall, we make sure they get the pay that we've promised them so they can exist on that. They'll tell you what they want, and what we may not provide as often is prayers. Praying for them. I mean taking time to pray for them. And you may say now, well, what do we pray about? What, what, what should we pray about and I'm just going to give you a couple of things. First of all, the best way to know what to pray for is to be in touch with them. To be in touch with them and ask. I mean, it's not that difficult today to be in contact with missionaries in difficult works. I mean, all of us have homing pigeons, right? You just wrap the little note around his foot and send him off. Five days later, if the hawks haven't killed him, he'll land and the missionary will read it and then return it with his own homing pigeon. It's not that hard. We can text, we can email, we can call, we can write. We can ask our missionaries, what do you need? What do you need us to pray about? What's on your heart? Wouldn't it be wonderful if those missionaries answered letters like that all the time or emails or texts? To know that they're being thought about and cared for in prayer? We can pray that they be taken care of financially, but I have to tell you, there's a, there's a hook to doing that. There's a downside to doing that. 
When we say, God, provide their financial needs, please, sometimes God will say, if you will get off your wallet, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. As soon as you fork it over. I've often wondered about that when Jesus said, pray the Lord of harvest to send forth reapers, and the disciples probably thought, that's us. <laughs> We're going to be the answer to our own prayers. I got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> Praying for their financial needs may mean that we are the answer to that. Or opportunities for the gospel. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about that in verse 19. Pray for their family needs. Sometimes they're away from family and sometimes their family is with them. And in both cases, there are great hardships. There's hardships of language barriers and, and economic barriers and barriers just trying to get in and out of a country and being separated from loved ones. Back home, it's not, it's not the same as it was before. Praying for them that their families will be taken care of. Praying for their physical safety. Listen, for a long time, we didn't have to worry too much about that, but we're having to worry about that again. Some of our missionaries are in danger for their lives in some of these countries. Romans chapter 15, Paul asks for that. So here's, here's the bottom line. Prayer can involve me in more ministries than I can personally be involved in. It can enable me to share in that with others. And it will build a rapport and a relationship that not only do those missionaries long for, but that will make a difference in our lives. The more involved we are in their lives, the more passionate we become about the work they do. Let the one who is taught share all good things with the one who teaches. Be creative in that. God will reward you. And God will bless you with a deeper koinonia than you have ever enjoyed before. Our lesson tonight hasn't been designed in any way to tell you what to do to become a Christian. But it may be that you're here and you have been listening to some of the things we've talked about and you have been thinking about becoming a child of God and maybe something in the lesson tonight has prompted you to think this. You know what? I'd like to be part of something that matters like that. I mean, it's, it's clear that these people are talking about things of weight and substance, not trivia. We're not playing games here. And, and this is no social club. And being part of the body of Christ is surrendering your independence to become dependent on the other parts of the body. I mean, tomorrow night we're really going to talk about that if the Lord allows us to be together. If you want that kind of relationship, if you want that kind of involvement, if you want that kind of surrender to your life, in return, what you get is salvation in Jesus. And maybe for the first time in your life, a reason to live. 
You want that? Come join us. Come to the front and name Jesus as Lord with the rest of us while we stand and sing.